Listener Production. Hello, Jan Fran again, and welcome to episode two of So You Can't Pay Attention. There is a term that I have only recently started hearing about. TikTok brain. What is TikTok brain? Good question. There is a growing body of evidence that suggests TikTok is shortening our attention span in a particular way. The app has an aggressive personalised algorithm and a unique ability to show users an endless stream of seconds-long videos. This is making it harder for us, well, namely the tweens and teens and young adults who use it, to pay attention to slower-moving activities such as reading or homework or even longer videos. Now, the research is relatively new and evolving, but it does seem to suggest that TikTok has captured our attention in a way previous social media apps haven't. That said, the other apps still do pretty well, so if you find yourself distracted by them, don't worry, it happens to the best of us. This is Professor Adam Gostello. It happened to me this morning. I got up and I thought, what am I going to wear today? And I thought, I'm just going to have like casual Friday. I had a look at my calendar, but I didn't do that. I opened up my phone to look at my calendar And the first thing that happened is my email popped up. So I went, oh, I've got an email there. So I clicked into my email. And then a little Twitter message thing came up, which said, you know, alert, alert. So I clicked on my Twitter and then I got sucked into a video for five minutes. And then I put my phone down and I was like, what was I doing? Why did I pick up my phone in the first place? And they went, oh, that's right. I needed to go back and check my calendar to see what was on today. Adam Gostello researches neurodevelopment at the University of Sydney. Our phones in particular, they've, they've been set up to drag our attention away and to engage. So, you know, the first thing that, you know, we do is we're sort of, we're looking for things that are novel and interesting and impactful and potentially even threatening and sort of anxiety provoking. So our phones are sort of there to, to you know, the bing, bing, bing and the alert. It's, it's sort of to bring our attention, out, if you like what we call salience, to a particular thing to go, this is really, really important. Even if it's not, our brain just goes, well, that's important because it's pinged up and we've got to pay attention to it. And the minute it holds our attention, then we, then we start to explore. And, um, and then, you know, we're looking for novelty and in- interest and is this really important to us? And so are our brains then just geared to look for these things? Absolutely, that is. We have a, um, if you like, a salience detection network. We call it the amygdala with a whole range of other parts of the brain that are involved in processing. And it's really important for a whole range of factors, you know. So if you are in a dangerous situation, the salience network is there to sort of alert you that there's danger and you've got to respond to it and you've got to be really fast. So it is very fast without sort of thinking about it too much. You notice it and you respond. So if you like, we sit there with our salience network looking for what's really important and what we need to respond to the environment to. And the phones and the pings and the alerts, they're all there to try and capture that salience network right. and then for us then to respond to it. And is this something that has uh, developed over many hundreds of thousands of years? Is this just part of our evolution, the this salience abso- network? Absolutely that is. I often hear a great quote attributed to the American biologist E.O. Wilson that we have paleolithic emotions, medieval institutions and godlike technology. It's a potent mix. The Silicon Valley whistleblowers who you heard from in episode one, the ones raising the alarm about big tech vying for our attention, trying to outcompete each other, they often argue that our brains are no match for the algorithm. We're simply not geared to process this level of information or to focus on so many things at once. 
So if, like me, you feel as though you're being pulled in many directions at the same time, well, that's not great. Why? Well, basically because humans can multitask very little. That's Maggie Jackson, the author of the book Distracted, who you heard from in episode one. We think we can, but we actually are fooling ourselves. Scientific study after study basically shows that we're not capable of doing more than, you know, stirring the pot on the stove and folding laundry. This is where I want to come back to my original question. So what? So what if we're not great at multitasking, but we do it anyway? What does it matter? Here, I think Maggie does a great job in answering that question. We have known the short-term costs for quite a while. In the moment, you're making more errors, many more errors, and you're more stressed and you're more frustrated uh, as you multitask your way through your day. But now the studies are showing that there are long-term effects. And that's something we just didn't know 10 years ago. You know, for instance, high-media multitaskers is what they're usually called, are people who often can't tell what's relevant in their environment. They can't tell because they're switching back and forth so quickly, they're losing the nuances of what these different tasks entail. So basically, they're not able to tell what's trivial and what's important in their environment. A second is memory. Our memories are really sabotaged when we're multitasking, not just in the moment, but the people who do it the most actually have more trouble returning to a task once they're interrupted. They have more attentional lapses throughout the day. They have a less precise memory. People who multitask all the time are more jumpy, they're less able to be persistent, and they're less able to remember. And another point about the memory, which is so incredibly important, is when you're learning, say you're in a classroom or you're listening to a presentation at a conference, you are taking in new information, processing this new information. If you're not multitasking, certain parts or systems of the brain kick in that are uh, encoding that information, especially if you want to, especially if you're trying to remember, etc. And the mind begins to pick up that information and store it in our networks of ever-evolving, ever-shifting knowledge networks. If you're multitasking, different systems in the brain kick in because that brain is trying to keep up with all this switching around, and it can't. And so it's reduced to automatic processing, systems that are more related to automaticity. So the kind of systems that you don't really have to think about. What that means is you might learn, you might remember, but you can't utilize that new information in new situations. So a surgeon who multitasks their way through medical school might be able to do a decent job in an operating room when everything's going well, when it's a textbook case. But when some crisis demands invention and novel thinking and cognitive flexibility, they're not going to be able to translate the information into new situations and setting. So we give up cognitive flexibility when we multitask. Yeah, I would strongly prefer it if my surgeon didn't multitask for all of the above reasons. And also because of something called switch cost, the price that we pay each time we switch from one thing to the next. Here's Professor Adam Gostella. 
So the minute that I'm sort of focusing on you and then the minute I disengage from you and then maybe focus on the phone that's beside me, there's an energy consumption that's associated with that that wears people out. And you've got to reorient your attention and, you know, attention is something that wears out. This is the cost to us as individuals, but what are the wider costs to society, to humanity, particularly as technology, algorithms and AI advance at an alarming pace? I gave you that TikTok example earlier. What happens if or when a new platform offers even shorter videos with even more sophisticated algorithms? I think the costs are alarming. They're steep. And yet we still are at the tipping point when we can push back on this. Do we want to choose to be less and less able to discern what's important and to seek the nuance and the perspective of uh, a complicated problem? Because one thing that attention does, attention is a vehicle. Attention is the lens that you are putting on the world. Um, So it's really important to understand that attention gives you discernment, but more than that, attention is the starting place for doing deeper thinking. We haven't touched on the social effects. There's so many studies now that show that, and we all know what it's like to be next to someone, a husband, a child, who is not acknowledging us, who is not listening or heeding us, it's called technoference, uh, according to some scientists. The person who's on the phone and is not really there or only half there, and you as a human being become unacknowledged and unheeded and semi-invisible. And that's a very, very just common place for families and friends to be together. And I think there's enormous things lost there. These are ways in which we can recapture the beauty and the glory and the strength of the human mind instead of being just constantly at the will and the beck and call of what a machine or a capitalistic for-profit entity wants us to pay attention to. And also it's how we can, I call it, preserve the integrity of the moment rather than constantly living a fractured life which reduces us to being reactive and impulsive and not to get too dramatic, but sets us up for autocratic societies that depend on thoughtless people and inattentive people. Okay, well, that does sound dramatic, albeit not implausible, but dramatic nonetheless. And as much as a part of me wants to throw my hands up in the air sometimes and declare that this problem is too big, I recognise that's not helpful. Some things are out of our control. This is true. I have no power to change Meta's algorithm. But there are certain things I do have the power to change. Most of human processing is not deliberate. So when I'm sitting here talking to you, I'm barely thinking about what I'm about to say next. It just sort of happens. And it's very habit-driven um, and it's you know automatic. The question is, if we are primarily reactive humans and we're reacting to our environment, how do we set up our environment and how do we develop habits that support what we want, how we want to live and what we want to do? A very good question, Professor Adam, brain expert. That's coming up in our third and final episode of this series. So you can't pay attention? Here's what you can do to change that. Thanks for listening. I will catch you tomorrow. Tomorrow. 
listener.